Typically, there's always an owner of each stage. An SDR might be the owner during the prospecting and a new logo. There's an AE that owns it and understanding what efforts they did put in. But equally important is who are the people on the other side? Were you talking to individual contributors? Were you talking to senior executives? Were you talking to people in the marketing department? Were you talking to people in the finance department, etc.? So once you have all of those pieces, all of a sudden, what was usually uh, very opaque and hard to understand, now you can see the typical journey and then you can start comparing. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Rob Gall. Rob is the CEO of Sien. And in our conversation, we talk about productivity in sales. In particular, how to measure true sales productivity, not activity, productivity. Now, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about in sales, and it's Rob's too. And well, the question is why? Well, because most sales leaders operate with a fundamental misunderstanding of what productivity means in sales. They really don't get it, but they should, because without this understanding, sales leaders continue to be in the dark about how to fundamentally improve sales performance, how to forecast growth, and, well, much, much more. So Rob shares with us the additions that they've made to Sien, their product, to measure this true sales productivity and how Sien's customers are using the data to make better decisions. So we get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Rob, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review and give us some feedback about how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Rob, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Andy. I enjoyed it last time. I'm sure we're going to have an even better conversation today. I I suspect we will. So um, tell people a little bit about Cien and um, you're still based in Barcelona? I'm between Miami and Barcelona. Between Miami and Barcelona, okay. Of course, right now... Just getting across the pond is not so easy. So no. yes, I used to travel every three weeks. Now it's more like whenever there is not a travel restriction. So. <laughs> but home is Barcelona. Home is, uh, you know, where the, where the kids are, where the, <laughs> yeah. where the wife is and so forth. And, and it varies a little bit. So, um, uh, I've been living most of my life in, in Miami, but, but, for the last few oh, okay. years, we've been uh, doing, doing um, uh, a lot of R&D here in Barcelona. Got it. Okay. Very interesting. And you have a new baby daughter as well. Yes, I do. So are you getting any sleep? Uh, I, I don't know if I want to jinx it by saying that this is <laughs> unlike every other baby. <laughs> She's actually already at three months sleeping, uh, only waking up once, once a night. And uh, that never happened. I have... Four ch- children prior to that, so mm. uh, that's I don't know if we're just getting better at it uh, as time goes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Uh, yeah, first child slept through the night very early, and we thought, ah, we know exactly what to do. Yeah, yeah. they come out, they come yeah. out differently, and they've got yeah, their own personalities. It can change at any time, and I'm hoping yeah. that we mention it now on this show. It does not change anything, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully she keeps keeps sleeping through. So, um, all right. So, fo- folks who didn't hear previous conversation or don't know about Cien, tell us about what you guys do and and uh, give us a little bit of your background. Sure. 
uh, on a very high level, we make sense of sales data, uh, specifically in the CRM, uh, trying to use that data to understand why your reps are not making quota, why your leads are not as good as they should be, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the reason I came from it, I, I, unlike you, I don't have that classical VPO sales background. I have always been a technology entrepreneur. Uh, but uh, in our last company, uh, we, we had a lot of success, and, and that was great. And mm-hmm. as, a, as a consequence, uh, we scaled our sales team very rapidly. Um, and we went from two to 100 reps in a period of three years. Okay, and wow. in my okay. math brain, you know, being a... Now, what type of product was that? Sorry? What type of product was that? Uh, it was a SaaS product in okay. the short-term rental space. So it's doing everything related to back office accounting, payment processing. And it was also connecting to all the portals. We had partnerships with Airbnb, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and so forth. So it was essentially the, the hub of, of an operation for a, product, for a property manager. Um, and, and again, uh, as we were growing that, that team, um, we, um, um, I was constantly saying, why is it that we can't get the teams to quota faster? Why is it that so many, many reps are kind of churning out and never really make it and so forth? And it was always the same type of answers from the VP of sales and the, and the line managers. Oh, this person doesn't quite know the product yet. Oh, this person is not putting enough effort into, into her, her work. Or this person, yeah, they're just talking, they're never closing. These kind of you know, non-quantitative statements that they made about reps. And I said, well, I want to help those reps get better. And, mm-hmm. and if I can measure this stuff and if we can help them identify their weak areas, maybe we can bring them up to, to quota and to, to, to do well. And if we can't do that, at least we know why they were not successful and we can do better next time we hire someone. Um, and that was essentially the, the, the impetus. And I thought this was going to be easy, you know, as you always think when you start a, a, a company. Right. Um, because I worked a lot with CRM data in the past. And in our past products, we had CRM uh, functionality built in. So I kind of felt like I knew it inside and out. And boy, were we up for a surprise when we got, you know, you know, the first and the second and the third and the 20th and the 40th uh, CRM data set from, from our clients, right? Um, everybody has data problems in their CRM. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that we probably should talk a little bit about today. Because it's something that I hear from pretty much every single revenue leader. Uh, I love to do X, Y, Z, but I don't trust my data. I'm having a hard time making sense out of my, my, my reports. Uh, everybody's backlogged because we can't get this stuff right, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what's, what data are they most frustrated with? That's a great question. And that's exactly the question that I ask uh, revenue leaders. And, and, and the answer is always vague. It's just bad, you know? And I said, well, <laughs> so, so, I mean, we can start there because we can start untangling how data can be bad in, 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 uh, in a go-to-market database like a CRM uh, uh, instance, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first thing you kind of want to separate is like the data that the rep needs to do their work 
in the data you need as a revenue leader or as an analyst to kind of understand what's going on, right? So right. The, the stuff that the reps need, um, sure, no, no reps likes to see duplicates and so forth. But in, in the end, what I found is that they just, they just continue working, you know, and, and if, if, uh, if a particular person is outdated, their contact title says that they're there, but like they're no longer there or they figure it out. And of course, many, many companies today invest in, you know, Zoom Info or Lead IQ or some tool like that to just right. look up a new contact if you can't get that. So that's, that's friction for the reps, but they usually overcome it and, and, and everybody has the expectation that, that that information is not always 100% accurate. The thing that I find people being more frustrated with is when they can't trust their numbers. And wh- why is it that they, they're, they have spent so much time building dashboards, they spend so much time investing in all of these uh, rev up stacks in terms of tools to do predictions and, and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and why is it that the data is still bad? And, and that's well, yeah. before we move on, though. Let's let's dig into that. So you say, yeah. yeah. So give me be specific. What what numbers don't revenue leaders trust? What numbers do revenue leaders trust? Most of the time, <laughs> they can trust the the the, the big number that you know the the amount one, right? Sure. Um, but but beyond that, because that that ties into commission statements and 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 into the billing systems and so forth. The rest um, is oftentimes very much up to debate for debate. And the reason for it is not a single thing, but multiple smaller problems. We can kind of dig into each one of them a little bit and, and explain how they're causing problems, what you can do about it, and uh, and get a little bit more specific on it if you like. Yeah, no, I think that'd be useful because I think that that yeah, I mean, this is one of the issues everywhere. Is yeah, numbers are bad. The 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 you know, the leads are bad. The, you know, everything's just bad. It's like oh, right. how how is it bad? Tell me, be specific. How is it bad? What's exactly. the number that that you don't like that you don't trust? So I, let's yeah, let's dig into a couple because I think well, that's really important. Yeah. So again, we we look at. Uh, quality across six dimensions. I'm going to rattle them off here and we're going to dig into them. But basically, when we're we trying to analyze data, we want to understand, is there duplication? So that's pretty easy mm-hmm. for everybody to understand. Number two, is there completeness of records? In other words, do records have the fields that you are using to analyze? Like, for example, do records have lead source? Uh, if you're trying to understand right. lead source. Number three, consistency. Um, do you have data that is classified and organized in a consistent way? And the answer mm-hmm. is almost always no. Uh, number four, and this one gets tricky, and we can talk a little bit about that, sales process. Can you really understand where a record is in terms of the sales journey and the process that the reps have used? So we'll probably have a little time to talk about that. And then number five, um, when you're looking at activity patterns, are you capturing what reps are doing or is most of the data missing? And then the last one, if you're using any type of AI, can you trust the AI that you're using to actually give you good results? And when I break it down like that, we have a little slide that we show to people and so forth. They're like, like they're like all of them, right? And they say, I have problems on all of those, those categories. Sure. Um, 
and and then you start saying, okay, here's how you can actually get uh, ahead. Because everybody kind of comes to this thing, yeah, we really should do an overhaul. We really should start from scratch. We should really clean up our, our data. And some companies do start those, those processes mm-hmm. uh, to kind of, quote, unquote, fix it at the source. But they tend to be forever projects, and they never t- tend to, to, to finish, and they never they attack one of those dimensions, let's say duplication, and they leave the other five bad or like and, and, and what have you gained? And that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, we're, we're, we have run this project now. Our, our our IT team has been working with this one. These are the types of things I hear over time. So what I want to kind of help people understand is that in some cases, the source data will remain bad until you do something very drastic and that can take a lot of time and cost a lot of money, but you can still go in and fix your reports and fix your data uh, in the meantime to, to get some trust in, in your numbers. Well, but the, okay. So let's, I just want to close that, that yeah. gap because you're talking about trust in your numbers, but all the attributes you talked about are sort of static data, quote unquote, relatively static data. You're talking about, you know, contact information and, and so on None of the six factors you really talked to were quantitative. Well, they are. Let's let's give let's start with example number one: consistency. Sure. Right? Um, you are getting the most common complaint from your reps. My my the leads are bad, right? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> so you're like, okay, well, let me see what leads are good and what leads are bad. And you have this inclination that some of the lead sources that you're using, you're, you're, you're taking data from three different lists and you're, you're, um, uh, you have some inbound lead generation uh, programs that are going on. You have the inclination that some of those are bad. So the th- first thing you do is just like, let me see if I can group and just do a conversion uh, check uh, and see what percentage are converting on each one of those lead sources. And mm-hmm. what you find typically going back to your comment about static versus dynamic data, is that that data, which should be static and should be set in stone, has changed over the last, you know, three years. So, like, you, instead of having 20 clean lead sources, and this I see all the time, 200 individual lead sources that are not useful in doing any type of analysis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it might say something like, uh, Dreamforce 2019, Dreamforce 2018, okay? And then one has a super high conversion and the other one doesn't because it's like small numbers and, and, right. and it's not statistically relevant. So what you right. want to start doing is to make those consistent. Dreamforce is obviously a, a trade show event. Make sure that all trade show events are grouped together. Make sure that all online uh, marketing uh, campaigns are, are grouped together, mm-hmm. etc. So all of a sudden you can see What's the difference between my online marketing campaigns that are generating leads that way versus my trade show versus the probably what okay. almost every single marketing department does, which is to do list augmentation, right? And and, right. and pushing in. So when you when you get a clean list, all of a sudden you get statistically meaningful results, and it's much easier to to see the patterns that you probably missed before, and you can okay. then right. All right. Right. So that's that's just one example. So is that static or dynamic? Well, it changes all the time. And, and, it's both, yeah. And you, can, you can do some of that cleanup one time and it, you have the, the data uh, that is more useful, right? Um, and then if you save that, you can, you can 
pull it out again next quarter and 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 and, and do a little bit better. Um, but that's 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 consistency, and and mm-hmm. that goes across you know all of the different dimensions. It goes across geographical dimensions. It goes across you know classifying the size of the companies versus you know mm-hmm. the industries of the companies and so forth. And and we always see problems in in all of those things. But let's move to the another example, which is duplication. So how does duplication make this analysis example that I just talked about difficult? Well, the most obvious one is like, for example, you're trying to use, you have three different uh, instances of, of the Microsoft account in there and, and one rep worked on one of them and another rep worked on another one and so forth, right? Right. Um, that's bad. What we're seeing is that that's usually not a huge issue though. It, it might be like five, three percent of the records are duplicated in that manner. But if you're trying to do analysis, there's also other things that are coming into to play, and that is the fact that almost all organizations today use both leads and accounts in in some way that leadership has defined as this is our what's our our, our ABM plus or like they right. come up with some fancy name to call this stuff where they are doing this. Or we were feeding in leads from our web forms, but we we're also setting up an account base. Yeah. So you're going to go. Right. And the end result is essentially that now, in some cases, you have just accounts. In some cases, you have just leads. And in many, many cases, you have five leads for the same accounts. Hmm. And what happens when you have all of that stuff and it's not this, it's, it's disorganized like that is that you're trying to do analysis and look for, for example, what's the conversion rate into opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your, your denominator and nominators are all screwed up. And you can get – I have an example right now when I'm, when sure. I'm showing people where it's like a 10x off. It seems mm-hmm. like if you just run it on the leads table um, that they have a conversion rate of, of less than 1%. Terrible. Like, like only one but, – but when you consolidate all of the duplicate leads and all that stuff, it's actually 10%. So it's not a little bit off, it is way off. Yeah, 10x, right. And, 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 and again, these are the things that, that, that you know, not addressing this stuff and, and trying to do it again as a big pro- IT project and affecting everybody's, you know, workflow and so forth has a lot of risks. So there are ways you can kind of go in and just do a quick, quick cleanup on the data and get that, th- those results uh, separate from from everything else and start understanding what's going on. So th- that was duplication. So it's, it's, it seems like an easy problem, but as we just covered it, it can, can, can go into five different dimensions uh, because of the way, uh, you know, the uh, companies are organizing their, their Salesforce uh, data and so forth. So, well, okay. So I was, Why? I'll say, I had a question I'll save, save to later, but so, in Cien, so how are you guys helping customers with that problem? So, yeah, so you and me to some degree are, are sales professionals, revenue professionals. So we can open up uh, a spreadsheet and see these patterns and we can kind of search using fuzzy search and matches and so forth to kind of clean this stuff up. It requires domain knowledge and requires analytical mm-hmm. knowledge and requires more than anything else time, right? So right. what we are working on is to automate all of that stuff using artificial intelligence. So that, right. because the same knowledge that exists in our heads can be 
put into the AI. Uh, and the same type of fussy searches, understanding that Andy and Andrew are probably, you know, the same person, right? Um, if they have the same last name and work right, for the right. same company. Um, then that's something that you and I can understand, but, but an AI can understand that today as well, right? Mm-hmm. And that way you can you can start getting that clean data uh, much easier and with much less effort. Got it. Okay. So one of the things that, that we, you and I have talked about in the past is this issue of, of data to help revenue leaders and sales leaders <clears throat> measure true productivity for sellers. Yeah. And to me, this is sort of like a <laughs> holy grail type thing because I think for the most part, sales leaders are sort of shooting in the dark because they don't really understand because they equate productivity with activity as opposed to output, which is what productivity is about. Um, so you sort of, sounds like you sort of been working on something that sort of helps provide some visibility into that uh, within your product. Yeah. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, tell, tell us a bit about that. Well, so we, we have already covered a couple of the, of the problems related to this stuff. Um, the duplications and so forth. Another piece that revenue leaders are always trying to kind of figure out is what is my sales process? Like when do I start prospecting? When do I end prospecting and start what I call the first new logo sale? Mm -hmm. I'm successful with that. What happens after that? There is, you know, some account manager perhaps that are taking over and that person is supposed to see if he can get a renewal or an expansion sale and so forth. And the way they're doing this stuff is that they are coming up with super complicated schemes. And usually it involves adding 15 additional custom fields into Salesforce, uh, you know, various elaborate handoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and the end result is always that all of these custom fields are haphazardly filled out. People still need to do certain things to do to get the deals done. Like the AE is supposed to, you know, hand it off to the AM. But in this particular case, AE knows that if it, if she does it right now, it's going to fall through and it's not going to be done right. So she continues to work on it, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Right. Um, right. These are the realities. So we felt like, and you're trying to get that out of the standard data that you have in Salesforce in terms of the accounts and the and opportunities and so forth. Oftentimes, it is, you know, it is next to impossible to make sense out of it. So right. what we said is, for every single account that you're, you're going, it's a journey. And it starts with the lead being generated. Then at some point, hopefully, a rep starts reaching out to it. If a lead was generated for a web form, the rep should touch it, you know, five minutes later. Mm-hmm. If it was added by a marketing department as a, you know, a target account, it doesn't matter if they do it this week or next week or maybe even next quarter, right? Because it's not like the, that customer is sitting there holding their breath for the first, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm selling Acme products, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but there's that step. Then you have prospecting, and that is all about, you know, making uh, a basic qualification on both sides. Does the buyer have any need or, uh, related to the services? Does the, um, can the seller see that there is some type of way to make a deal happen? Right, so they become a sales-qualified opportunity. Right. Does that happen, you create an opportunity. Now it's a new logo. 
And then it goes into the rest of the stuff. And hopefully that cycle goes on with upselling opportunities over and over again forever. And it's a very lucrative account. That's that, how the vast majority of um, uh, sales organizations are operating today. But they can't get the journey of those things. Uh, to tell, they can never tell with a, in, in an easy way. How long does it how how long does it take to go from stage one to two in average? What's the average you know win rate of of those things? Because there's always data that is um, confounding these 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 measurements, right? Oh yeah, look at the the differences in definition of win rate. Exactly, and that's something we've talked about before, right? And yeah. and 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 again, what we wanted to do was to create that single sales record that outlines the entire journey, see who were involved on the seller side. So typically there's always an owner of, the, of each stage. An SDR might be the owner during the prospecting and a new logo. There's an AE that is own, owns it and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, and then understanding, you know, how, what efforts they did put in. But equally important is who were the people on the other side? Um, were you talking to, you know, uh, um, individual contributor, we were talking to senior executives, we were talking to people in the marketing department, we were talking to people in the finance department, etc. So once you have all of those pieces, all of a sudden, what was usually uh, very opaque and hard to understand, now you can see the journey, the typical journey, and then you can start comparing. What are journeys that are successful versus what are journeys that are not successful? And that comes into things like that, that I know a lot of people are talking about, like, you know, we got to be better at account planning and account discovery and so forth. The difference is that you go from, you know, anecdotal, it is always better for us to do this versus that, to mm. quantitative, here's right. what, what really works. And in many cases, it might be, the, you know, counterintuitive. For example, uh, we found one company that the less they talk to the IT department, the more they won the, the deals. Whereas they thought that they needed to get the buy-in from the IT department, and and instead it, it was the opposite. They, they mm-hmm. just opened up a lot of questions and doubt, and, and it prolonged the the thing. And if they could make the case to the to the department that was actually using the product, they made the case to the IT department themselves, and and they won the deal faster. Mm-hmm. So so it is essentially to be able to to understand the entire journey, what steps, how long, and then coming back to what you were talking about, the productivity of, of each one. Because once you have all of that stuff, you can then see how much effort did the rep spend on a new logo deal. And what I've what what and, and it, it comes to take it one step back. Mm-hmm. When, when I go in and look at the revenue uh operations report and so forth a lot of times i just see pipeline okay we have right now we have you know 100 million dollars in pipeline the first question i always ask is well how much of that is new logo versus expansion versus rev- uh, renewals and so forth mm-hmm. and the answer is usually well we can't really tell it's hard but we're supposed to code it but it's but it's it's the coding has been done incorrectly uh and some of it is like so then um I say, well, the, 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 the value of that pipeline varies enormously depending on what the type of, 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 of items you have in it because, um, because they're, they're not closing at the same rate, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to, to track that entire journey, that has been a, a big effort. 
and it, it allows us essentially to, to get insights into productivity, best practices, what does not work, and, and then also um, to really, really uh, let reps um, or to let revenue leaders understand um, what steps are, are in most need for, for optimization. Right. And it's different in every company. Well, some, some of the metrics that you're tracking in this, you talk about measuring value created. And I was, I was really sort of curious about that. So how do, you, how do you measure something like value? Right. That's a great question. Um, so the way we're doing that is by looking at, if you have all of these steps, you understand that a little bit of value is created in each one of those steps. If you sold for $100 million in a year, $100 million worth of value was created, right? But it was not all done by the AE. It was okay. not all done by the lead generation team. It was not all done by the prospecting team. There was some contribution to each, from each one of those groups. And if, they cre- if, the, if the lead gen team creates really great leads, their, their contribution is obviously much higher. Great leads meaning- How do you quantify that? Right. Among so the various the, steps, the, right? That goes into this. So that's another great question, and it goes into to our our AI aspects of uh, of this. Because the only time AI becomes useful is if you can trust it, you can understand what it's doing, and that it somehow has transparency around uh, whether it's good or not. Because mm-hmm. just saying that that's AI and we can predict X, Y, Z, uh, that's not very useful. The way we're doing that is by looking at each one of those steps we just talked about in that single sales process journey mm-hmm. and predicting in advance how likely are we going to be to be successful. So before, before the rep has started, let's make a prediction and see, given these things, so we know that certain industries are better than other ones. We know that certain segments of the markets are better than other ones. We know that certain lead sources are better now. So we can also know that if an SDR has done certain things, the opportunity is better qualified than otherwise. All of those things are essentially metrics that can now be used. So all right. of a sudden... So you just, can... just, to, just to pause there. So what you're right. saying is that you're, you're making a prediction based with your algorithm, algorithm based on, yeah, the SDR using the right lead sources in the right industry and so on. And taking the right steps. Because, you know, like uh, a, a, a lead that has only had a five-minute meeting before it gets handed over to the AE is much more likely to say, who, who are you from? I mean, this is a very common thing, right? That uh, an SDR mm-hmm. team is creating opportunities but haven't done the proper qualification. So when the AE right. goes to the meeting, the person that's there saying, I don't know, I don't, or there are no-shows or, or, or what the common mm-hmm. problems are happening, right? So right. there are telltale signs in that scenario. Maybe there was only one short meeting. Maybe there were not a lot of engagement in emails that happened after that. If you know those things, you can then assign a new probability uh, that is much lower. And, and that basically, going back to your question around value, if, you, if you're delivering a lot of low-probability leads, obviously that's much lower value than if you create a lot of high-probability leads. And what we're doing is essentially just taking the $100 million we talked about before and slicing it up so that it goes into the right bucket 
um, and it balances it in. And again, you can always argue about, you know, you should give a little bit more value to this, a little bit more less value. But you can't argue about it if you're doing it consistently across all of the different leads, right? So all mm-hmm. of a sudden you can understand where value is being created and where value is being lost. Because it can be the opposite problem. And this happens, we see it all the time in, our, in companies also, where you give reps high quality leads that they are ready to go on. And then because they have maybe too many leads or because they have different priorities or they don't have a way to understand that those are actually high quality leads, they ignore them or sit on mm-hmm. them too long or abandon them after a single try and so forth. And there you, you want to basically identify that opposite problem, that there was not enough follow-through. And with this approach, all of these things that used to be opaque, and, and everybody kind of goes in and, and does spot checks on it and, sure. and get a feel for it. But like it was never possible to do, uh, at least we couldn't figure out how to do it without going after this type of technology, um, um, to, to know it at scale and know it for your entire team and know it how it has changed over time. Because that, that's really what, what you want to understand, right? Here's what we are suffering right now. We have an SDR team that we brought on. They are not qualifying the leads. The, the, the quality of those uh, uh, opportunities that they are passing over are much lower than the, the opportunities the A's are, are creating themselves. Just the difference between two probabilities. Yeah, I mean, it, what's interesting is what you're doing is you're saying is, look, okay, for a certain revenue number, um, we are allocating contribution percentages yeah. by function, basically. To say, okay, if, if we have yeah, hundred million dollars in revenue, that hundred million, we contribute so much to of the of the the value created. Let's say as use of the revenue yeah. to sales development, some to AE, some to CS, and so on. Exactly, and we're doing it not just on the function, but we're doing it down to the individual record. Right, but I'm just saying, starting at the function level, but then you can do it yeah. down to the individual yeah. person, right? And it, exactly, and what you, when you can do that, you can settle a lot of the dilemmas that are happening in sales organizations. You can settle that is the lead distribution fair because, like today, fairness is everything, right? Like you never want to be in an organization that is considered unfair, that is um, um, that is not take given reps of similar category a similar shot at mm-hmm. at doing well. Um, so you can solve for that problem, for example. You mm-hmm. can also solve for problems around um, productivity that we talked about before. Because if you know how much value was created, um, and then you know how much time you set, you have that simple formula, mm-hmm. value di- divided by times. So all of a sudden you can see whether there's, there's a rep that is generating a lot more value than, than, than their peers. What are they doing differently? And again, sometimes those results are very counterintuitive. They may not be following the process that the sales leaders have set up, that the best practice have been. They may take in shortcuts, but those shortcuts still work. And if you are aware of that stuff, you can, you can coach towards success as opposed to coach towards process. Yeah. Well, I can guarantee that the top performers are not following the, the rules specifically. Um, yeah. Right, and process tends to be lowest common denominator, oftentimes. Um, unfortunately, oh, again, uh, process is important, but 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 yep. only if it if it adds value, and if it is the opposite, then 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 if you can find find where the 
it actually has friction, you might be able to, to make small changes that can make a big impact. So how do you account for, in, in your model, is how do you account for, um, you know, somebody's working on an account, the AE leading the charge, but there are lots of other resources within the company that are brought to bear to help close the deal. Right. Yeah. So like how are you accounting? How are you accounting for that right. in the value creation model or the contribution to value model that you have? Right. So great question. So like everything, every model is a simplification of reality, uh, and and every model is wrong. But some models are very useful. So, for example, um, um, when it comes to a manager that comes into a single call um, and, and helps maybe close it, uh, the helicopter manager, um, uh, that, that feels like he or she should be present when, in that critical call to, to, to provide support for the end. We know that they were there uh, because we can track their activities along with uh, everything else. Um, um, we don't allocate the value to that that manager sp- separately. It, it becomes very very granular. We, we give the value to the AE, but we can then see how much how much attention did the manager put on each one of those reps, and you can essentially then go back and say, hey, there are some reps here that the manager feels is, uh, needs a lot of support, and there are some that are not, um, and and that way you can understand whether. There is an issue in terms of coaching and training and so forth, right? Yeah, I'm mean, looking more from the perspective of saying, look, you know, a complex deal. Um, yeah, been my experience is you know, two sellers might achieve somewhat the same result, but one required a lot more sales engineering support, a lot more management support, a lot more you know, engineering support or whatever than the other. So right. on the surface, it looks like, oh, they both hit their number. Right. But the cost of one hitting the number was substantially higher than the one that perhaps was a bit more self-sufficient, let's say. Right. So we, we track all of those things because as, as a manager comes in, their activities get associated with the same step in the sales process that we were just tracking. Um, and we can see what, what meetings they participated in and so forth. Um, and we can then include that in the total hours spent on that. We, we call that the duration, which mm. is another topic we can talk a lot about. How do you know how much time a rep spends on things? And, you know, yeah. obviously today there are a lot of tools out there. You're affiliated one uh, that is tracking uh, phone calls and emails and so forth. There are, so the best, so what, what makes this stuff possible and, and more kind of less science fiction is that, Today, we're no longer, most of the time, that's not all the time, but most of the time relying on the reps entering in every single activity manually that they are doing as part of their sales rep. That said, we all know that there is still a lot of data that is not getting into the sales uh, force instance of things that are happening in the sales process. And that goes into kind of like the last thing that I talked about in the beginning of of the conversation that that you want to know how much of the data you're missing. And I don't know how much time we have, but like I have a, a, a pet peeve with people counting cases when it comes to COVID. Because cases in COVID is not how many people were infected. 
it's how many people reported that they were infected, right? right? right. And, and if, you, if 10 people reported that they're infected, maybe there were 20 people that actually were infected. Because mm-hmm. they, they had mild symptoms and so forth. The same so they thing. Didn't, they didn't in, test, right? Right, and the same thing happens in CRM. You know, like the one quick text that you had with the buyer to to run something. That text never made it into this to to the to the Salesforce instance because you were doing it from your personal phone or or whatever, right? Right. Um, and and being able to understand how much of the data you're missing. It's very useful in both of those cases. In COVID, because you want to understand if the, you know, the wave has peaked or not, or if you're just missing mm-hmm. a lot. And people are today obviously looking at things like positivity rates to to do that. And in terms of understanding the sales process, um, and and what effort goes into that, you can assume that there are some data that, and some reps are obviously worse at collecting this information or, or entering in this information. So you can essentially give a record. You can give a score to each person. How much of this person's data do I think I have? And when you have that, all of a sudden, doing these types of time management mm-hmm. um, analysis becomes much more accurate and interesting. Hmm. That's interesting to think about. So these are the types of problems that we are spending a lot of time doing. And, and the reason for it is obviously because we wanted to be able to understand a sales team. We want to go into revenue leader and we work a lot with management consulting companies that are doing this stuff. And in the past, they did this stuff by going around uh, sales force and observing and, and doing surveys and talking to the to revenue leaders. And those are all useful things, but they are much harder to do today when people are not traveling as much. And they are also subject to bias and false information. Mm-hmm. That, that, that. So what we want to do is to get that same type of insight um, through, through data. Yeah. Interesting. No, I like it. I like the approach. All right. Well, Rob, unfortunately we've run out of time. Um, tell folks how they can connect with you and learn more about CN. Sure. Uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn, uh, Robert Cal, uh, K A L L. Um, and on Twitter, same handle and, um, website is cn.ai C I-E-N dot A-I. Got it. Well, Rob, thanks for coming by. Um, hopefully we didn't jinx Ruby and all continues smoothly apace. And uh, we'll look forward to talking in shortly. Yeah, I agree. likewise. I like, I like our, our geek, geek sales ops, uh, <laughs> conversations. Hopefully some other people are, are equally into this, this, these topics as we are. We hope so as well. So, all right, Rob, thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Rob Call, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.